How many of you have heard on the news recently there was a, uh, a guy in Florida, his name is Jamel Dunn, and he is disabled, and he was drowning in the lake, and the kids recorded the whole thing on video. And so they're watching him drown, and they're literally recording it and laughing and mocking him while he's drowning in the water. And uh, his pastor had spoke at the funeral, and one of the things that he said is, he said, I, I can't understand how people can just videotape the drowning as he's pleading for help, and they did nothing to help him. And then his sister goes on to say that she's actually seeking a new state law right now to address situations like this. They call it Dunn's Right Duty to Act. And she's quoted as saying this, if someone needs help and is in distress, as human beings, we should be obligated to pick up the phone and call 911 to save a life. If you could just sit and watch someone die and laugh and mock and joke about it, you should be charged with something. You should be charged with something. It brings up this idea, and it reminds me of this idea of mercy. Mercy, by definition, is this. It's compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it is within one's power to punish or harm. There's a Scottish theologian, his name is Sinclair Ferguson, and he says this. He's got a book on the Sermon on the Mount. He says this. Mercy is getting down on your hands and knees and doing what you can to restore dignity to someone whose life has been broken by sin. You know, we can look at a story like that and we can think to ourselves, that's just awful. How does someone even treat someone like that or look at somebody like that? But let me ask you a question. When you're driving in your car and you pull up to a stoplight, and you see somebody walk next to your car, what do you do? You tell them to turn the sign around first, right? You're like, if you're going to ask for money, get it right. What do you do when you see someone with a sign like this? What is our natural tendency in situations like this when somebody's coming up to your car? What will most of us do? We roll up our window. We turn away, right? Why? Because there's something about... When you make eye contact with somebody, it draws you in to their world. It's one of the reasons why Jesus himself often said is, if you want to show compassion to someone, where does it start? It starts by looking at them. Because when you look, now you're entering into their world. If you've ever been homeless in your life, or if you've ever been in dire need like that, you understand what it's like to be in that position. There's something about when you have been shown something and given something in your life, you're more apt to turn around and to give it to somebody else. Right? So how does this draw us to God? Well, that's what I want to look at today as we walk through Psalm 41. It's David, it's King David has confidence in God's mercy in times of trouble in his own life. I call this sermon, To Whom Do You Show Mercy? And the takeaway is this, when you've been shown mercy in your life, you're more apt to go and to give it to somebody else and to show it to somebody else. Let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, 
We ask, Lord, and we pray, Father, please, just quiet our hearts and our minds, Lord. Father, we pray that you would just bring to mind and bring to light the ways in our own lives that we fail to give mercy, Lord. And remind us of all the mercy and the mercy that you've shown us, Father. Lord, speak to us through your word today, Lord, and give us a change of heart after we hear your word, Lord, to not only just hear it, to understand it, but to live it in our lives, Father. We just ask this and praise this. Pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. So I want to start off with, uh, with Psalm 41, and hopefully you guys have been blessed by the Psalms. I know for me in particular, um, I've always read the Psalms before, but I've sort of taken a new meaning in my life when I go through the Psalms now because I've, I've started to verbalize the Psalms in my own life now and see, like we said in week one, use the Psalms as a template for your life. If you want to know what a relationship with God looks like and how do I go to God and how do I talk to God in a real relationship, I use the Psalms as a template. So it says this. I want to start with verses one through three. David says, Blessed is the one who considers the poor. In the day of trouble, the Lord delivers him. The Lord protects him and keeps him alive. He is called blessed in the land. You do not give him up to the will of his enemies. The Lord sustains him on his sickbed. In his illness, you restore him to full health. David is literally saying, blessed. Blessed are those who understand and empathize with the poor. When he says poor, it's not just really poor in terms of money. It's those who are weak and helpless. He's saying, blessed are you when you do that. And he says, he uses this word, consider. Consider means that I give careful thought to somebody as opposed to just doing a gesture with little effort or thought. It reminds me of what Jesus says when he says, do unto others as you would have done to you. It literally means I have to stop and think, what would I want someone do to me? And that's what I want to turn around and do to somebody else. That's what mercy is about. It's one of the things that I love the most about our mission trip was our kids literally went down into Kensington and began stepping into the lives of people and giving consideration to those who are helpless, who are weak and who are helpless. And it took a sacrifice on their part to do it. And I think that was what was so moving for the people down there because for the first time in their life, in many of their lives, someone was literally coming to them and showing mercy and praying with them. And it was so moving for our kids because for a lot of the kids, they were seeing what it was like to move towards someone with that and consider those who are weak and consider many people who are helpless and praying for them. And they were changed by that because they were seeing the heart of God. God's heart is for those who are poor, who are weak and are helpless. And what David is saying right here is the blessings that come with considering the poor are in terms of favor. What he says is he delivers them in the day of trouble. He protects and keeps them alive. He prospers them. He keeps them from their enemies. But it's not just favor from God. It's also, it's a spiritual and it's a physical healing. He's crying out to God right now and it's just a and help asking God for help. Please bear with me in my affliction right now, God, in the midst of my troubles right now. Help to ease my pain. He's going to God for help. And David is comforting himself with God's promise. 
What he says is, in the day of trouble. He doesn't say, if it happens, he knows that it's going to happen. And in my day of trouble, God, I come to you. David is speaking these words in the midst of his experience right now. Because when you listen to what commentators say, David was on his sickbed. He's sick. And he's on his sickbed, and he's crying out right now in trouble. What David is saying is, God, I know that you are concerned for the poor and the weak, and God identifies with the poor. And what David is saying is, I have confidence in going to God to receive mercy because I've shown mercy to others in my life, and I understand how mercy works. I've got it. I've received it, and I've given it. He understands how mercy works in his life. And what he's doing with these first three verses, he's setting himself up for where he's about to go next in verses 4 through 10. He says, As for me, I said, O Lord, be gracious to me. Heal me, for I've sinned against you. My enemies say of me in malice, When will he die and his name perish? And when one comes to see me, he utters empty words while his heart gathers iniquity. When he goes out, he tells it abroad. All who hate me whisper together about me. They imagine the worst for me. They say a deadly thing is poured out on him, and he will not rise again from where he lies. Even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. But you, O Lord, be gracious to me and raise me up that I may repay them. David is asking and he's confessing his sin and he's asking for healing in his life. Isn't that interesting? He's sick and he needs help. And the first thing he does, he confesses his sin. What is his sin? It very well may be the sin that he commits with Bathsheba. For those of you that know the story, David is looking out, and he sees a woman sunbathing. He tells his men to bring her up. He commits sin with her. She's pregnant, and he tries to hide the sin by having her husband killed. And now David is going to God and saying, God, forgive me. Because in the midst of the chaos that's going on right now, David is saying, I think a lot of this chaos is a result of the sin that I've committed. But when he, does, when he goes to God, he does it based upon God's mercy, not his deeds. Because he could very well say, Lord, I've been a good person. You owe it to me to show me grace. He's based upon God's mercy. That's why the first thing he starts off with is to say, forgive me, Lord. Forgive me of my sin in all my life, and I realize, God, it's not just a physical healing I need. I need a spiritual healing. Why? Because I recognize myself as being poor. I am weak, and I am helpless right now, God, and I am crying out to you, forgive me of my sin. And then he goes on to say, Lord, they're coming after me. My enemies are coming after me. What do they say? They're asking questions like, when is he going to die? When will his name be gone? Will his name perish? When they come to me, they utter empty words like they really care about me, but what they're doing is they're gathering information about me and then going and telling other people, yeah, he's pretty close to death right now. They don't care. And God, even one who I considered my close friend has turned on me. It's the word what he says, lifted his heel 
against me. Think about somebody turning away from you and walking away and lifting their heel. Even my close friend in whom I ate bread with has now turned against me. When you go to the book of 2 Samuel in in the Old Testament, it says this, it says, and while Absalom, which is David's son, who's now trying to get the throne from David and remove David from the throne, it says, while he was offering sacrifices, he sent for Ahithophel, the Gilanite, David's counselor from his city, Gilo, and the conspiracy grew, grew strong, and the people with Absalom kept increasing. David's closest friend has now turned from him and has now deceived him, one that he had ate bread with at his own table right now. This is what's happening in David's life right now. He's sick. He's on a sickbed. Those are coming to visit him, and they're beginning to plot against his life. And the first thing that David does is he goes to God and says, Forgive me of my sin, Father. But he goes to God because he has the confidence that he's going to get mercy from God. And what he says is, raise me so that I may repay them. It's interesting because when you read in the Psalms, most Psalms, what they do is they go to God and say, God, you repay them for what they've done. It's a recognition that God is the one that actually is. God is the one that does vengeance. God is the one that repays people. In this instance right here, he says, God, Heal me so that I can repay them. Why? Because David is king. And as king, he has the power to act judiciously to promote public justice. Raise me, God. Heal me so that I can pay them back for what they're trying to do. David goes to God and shows himself as being poor. I am weak. I am helpless, God and I need your mercy right now. And he has confidence that God will give him mercy because he understands mercy. He's shown mercy, and he's been changed in his heart to show mercy to others, and he understands that's where God's heart is. That's who God is, and he has confidence to continue to go to God and get mercy himself. And then he says this in verses 11 through 13. By this, I know you delight in me, My enemy will not shout and triumph over me, but you have upheld me because of my integrity and set me in your presence forever. David is aware and confident that God will provide, will help him, and his enemies will not triumph over him. Why? God has upheld him because of his integrity, not because he's a good person. It literally is this idea that his heart is in the right place. Remember, David confesses his sin before, but that's his heart in the right place. He goes to God, he confesses his sin, and God upholds him because of his integrity and sets him in his presence forever. And then he ends it in verse 13 by saying, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting, amen and amen. That is actually the line that closes out the first 41 Psalms in the first book of Psalms. And he closes it out that way. David is saying in this psalm right here, he has a confidence to go to God to get mercy because he's shown mercy in his own life. And he appeals to God's mercy on the basis of his need for healing. Forgive me, Father. Forgive me. It's not just a physical healing. It's a spiritual healing. And it's help from my enemies. Have you ever felt like in your life that everything was just closing in on you? 
Have you ever felt literally helpless and weak in your life? I remember for me, just being unemployed. You know, for most of my life, everything that I had done was based upon the achievements that I have. And you really want to be humbled quickly is get laid off from a job when you've got a car payment, you've got a house payment, you've got all these other bills. You want to feel weak and helpless? You want to feel like you're crying out to God? That was the moment in my life. My question to you is where do you go when you feel utterly weak and helpless in your life? David goes to God, and he asks for mercy from God. And David's words right here, they go much deeper, and they point to the life of someone else. You see, it was Jesus on his Sermon on the Mount that says this in Matthew 5, 7. He says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. God's mercy is a withholding of the just punishment that we receive for turning against God and sinning against God. And when you are merciful in your life, it is the result of receiving mercy yourself from Christ and God's grace. And that changes your heart and how you see and how you deal with other people. How can you say that you've received God's mercy and you don't show mercy to anybody else? It's why Jesus tells the parable of the unmerciful servant where a servant owed his master money and the master wanted his money and he went to him and pleaded him for mercy and the master forgave the servant and now there was another servant that owed the first servant money and he wasn't as nice to him. He wasn't as forgiving to him. He wanted to throw him in jail. And when the master hears about it, he says, you wicked servant, I forgave you for much more and you don't show mercy to somebody else? Jesus is telling the same thing. How can you claim that you've received mercy from God and if you've seen your need for mercy and you don't show it for anybody else? It's the same thing with forgiveness. How do you say that you've been forgiven of your sins and you still hold a grudge and you don't forgive somebody else? Do you truly understand your need for forgiveness and do you truly understand how much you've been forgiven in your life? When I show that, because I've received it, now I understand. That's what David is trying to say. That's what David is saying. And you're blessed when you've seen it from God and you know that your heart has been changed from that. David realizes his need for mercy and he calls out for that. He asked for forgiveness and he went to God for mercy and he knows he's going to get it because he's shown it, as opposed to his enemies. You think his enemies, as they're closing in, showed David any mercy for what was going on in his life? You see, that points to another scripture. It was in John that Jesus is with his disciples, and he just gets done done washing their feet. And he tells them about being a servant to other people. But Jesus says this. He says, but I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I've chosen, But the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. This is a thousand years later, and Jesus is pointing to the same exact scripture and saying, that scripture will be fulfilled in my life too. With who? Judas. Remember, it was Mary who pours out the perfume on Jesus' feet and wipes the perfume with her hair. And what does Judas say? 
He says, why wasn't this sold for 300 denarii, which is a year's wages? Why wasn't this sold and the money given to the poor? You think Judas really cared about the poor? You think Judas had mercy for the poor? No. He was stealing the money. He was treasurer. And he got angry at Jesus because Jesus rebukes him. And it's probably the moment at which he decides that he's going to go and go to the religious leaders at that time to turn Jesus in. A lack of mercy is the mark of those who betray Jesus. Judas showed no mercy. And did Jesus, Judas receive mercy at the end? He didn't because he didn't understand and he didn't get it. David showed mercy to the poor. But it was Jesus who shows mercy to the poor when he sees us. It was David who knew God would rescue him from his enemies for doing good. But it was Jesus who came and did good to his enemies. And what ended up resulting in that? He died. But God raised him and rescued him from the dead three days later. It was David who confessed his need for forgiveness from sin and for healing. But it was Jesus who took on our sin so that we could be forgiven and that we could be healed. It was David who was betrayed by somebody close to him. And it was Jesus who was betrayed by somebody close to him that led to his death. It was David who wanted to repay his enemies. Why? Because he was king and wanted to show public justice. But it was Jesus as our true king who showed mercy and took the punishment on himself even forgiving those who have wronged him in his life. Jesus Christ is the greater David. Jesus is the greater David. It was in the garden that Jesus talks to his disciples and tells them to stay awake with him and to pray with him. And then Jesus goes off, and when he comes back, what happens? They're asleep. And it wasn't long after that that those same disciples, those same close friends of him, they abandoned him. And it was Jesus, if you look in the book of Mark, he cries out to his father, Abba, Father. And specifically what that term is, it's a childlike, trust-like faith that he has in his father. It's like saying, Daddy. Jesus is in anguish, and he's crying out to his daddy right now, and he says, Daddy, Take this cup away from me, but not in my will, in yours. You see, Jesus is in anguish as he begins to feel the weight of the sin of the world on him, and he understands that the wrath of God against sin is going to be on him. His father was no longer with him. He's alone, and he's beginning to feel the weight of the sin of the world on him. Jesus was an enemy of God on the cross because God was taking out his punishment and his wrath on sin on his only son. When you look at the cross and you look at what Christ did on the cross and your need for forgiveness, what you see is the mercy of God. Jesus Christ gave his life for us so that we wouldn't take the penalty for sin that he did himself. True healing in your life comes from Christ because God looks at us as the poor and those who have wronged him and his son paid for it. When you understand it and you see your need for mercy 
and you cry out for that and you see and you get that, it should change the way that you see other people and have a heart change toward giving mercy to other people. How do you get it and you don't give it to other people at all? So what does this look like in our lives? The first thing is this. It's confession for healing. We start off with true healing by confessing our sins and receiving God's mercy. You understand that each and every one of us have lifted up our heels and deceived and turned away from God. And what we do is we go to God and we ask for forgiveness. You see, David wanted to punish those who were trying to be king, but the essence of sin is we look at God and we want to kick him off the throne and put ourselves there. That's what sin is. We're trying to be kings ourselves, and we need God's mercy. We need to call out to God because God rescues the merciful. So I repent of my sins. I'm literally turning away. It's looking and seeing sin the same way that God does. And I place my faith in what Christ has done. I receive the free gift of salvation. I do that for salvation, but repentance is a daily thing. The mercies are new every single day. I can turn to God and say, God, help me. I need you. And I can go and repent day after day, multiple times a day. That's what David is doing. And when you receive that, when you see God's mercy to you, it should change the way that you deal with other people. So I start with confession for healing. And then I understand about receiving mercy and giving mercy. That's why Jesus says, blessed are the merciful. When you show mercy to people, that's a mark that you know Christ. And when you've seen it, and you've received it, and you give it, blessed are you, because at the end of the age, I know that my heart has been changed by Christ, and I am his. And that's the blessing that we have for being merciful, because I know, especially at the end, that I'm going to get it, and my heart has been changed. I cry out to God every day for help and mercy. I do it in prayer. That's what the psalm is showing. That's what David did. He cries out in these psalms. He cries out to a father that he knows is going to show him mercy, and his confidence is not based upon him being a good person. His confidence is based upon who God is, knowing that God is a merciful God. And it's based upon Christ's work on the cross, not anything that we did on our own. That's the gospel message. We show mercy because we've been, seen, we've been shown mercy ourselves. So who do you need to show mercy to in your life? Who is it that you need to show mercy to in your life? Always start, as a Christian, always start with what's been done for you because that gives us a heart motivation, a heart motivation for change. Because if you do it in any other way, you're doing it in your own will. And I say it's like a New Year's resolution. It'll work for a little bit, but then it's always based upon your feelings and how you feel. But when you look and see how much mercy you've been shown, when you look and see how much forgiveness you've been shown, that now gives me a heart change to go out and to do that and to show the love of Christ to other people. You think about what does it look like in your job, in your home, in your neighborhood, to strangers. 
What does it look like to show mercy to others? You see those kids in Florida? They didn't show mercy, so they don't get it. They don't see their need for mercy, so they don't give it. Laws can't change people. People need a heart change, and a heart change comes when you see your need for mercy from God. You know what? We are the homeless people asking for help. We are Jamel Dunn in need of mercy. But here's the thing. God wasn't obligated to save a life, but he did it anyway. And you know who it was that was charged with our sin? It was Jesus. He was the one that was charged. Jesus is what God's mercy looks like as he considers us who are poor. And blessed are you when you give it because you yourself have received it. Pray with me.